0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 podcast studio. This is the Colts Blue Zone podcast. I am Dave Griffiths joined here in-house by Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell from his Beach Grove estate uh, via the power of Skype joining us over the Internet. Uh, We will discuss the latest training camp buzz from the head coach Frank Reich, offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni, also all pro linebacker Darius Leonard. But first, as we start with the news around the NFL and news that has impacted the Colts directly here, we saw yesterday first teams in the NBA deciding to boycott their games or sit out their games, whatever word you want to use. Um, I, I've heard some people say that the boycott's not the right word. But nevertheless, I, I don't, I'm i not getting into that discussion. Semantics. But, yeah, exactly. But uh, the Colts have decided to cancel their Thursday practice. And uh, the word was to focus on uh, social issues. Uh, Is kind of the official uh, verbiage coming from Colts headquarters. So uh, we've heard that the Colts had a team meeting Wednesday night. Um, A big focus of the meeting and today is these social issues is on uh, voting. I've read Jacoby Brissett has been a main voice in these discussions. Uh, but, uh, Mike, this is just, I guess the latest chapter in, um, in, in a summer that in a year we'll never forget. And in a very unique, uh, year for athletes and their roles in social issues specifically.
1: Yeah. You hear a lot of backlash from, from the fans and the public about just, just play, just play. Well, these guys have lived this and they have a platform. I'm in my sixties. I'm a white guy. I've got a son, and never once did I ever talk to him about what to do when he was pulled over, you know. And, and I have two grandsons, and I'm sure my son will never talk to them about what to do when you're pulled over or whatever. And that's not the case with with a Mike Wells or a Stephen Holder, uh, my black colleagues. And it's just different. And you, you, you want to understand what what they're going through, but you can't unless you've been through it. So I, I applaud the players for trying to do something. Uh my only issue is we had this discussion in June. Remember they they they, they sort of focused so I, I I hope something comes of this, or we're just postponing games and kicking the can down down the street. So uh I I, I give these players uh, applause for trying trying to do something trying to make a difference and i hope it makes a difference it's just that again i don't want in three months to be having this same conversation where we're, we're pausing things and we're trying to make a difference hopefully at some level these actions will, will reach the necessary people because up to this point it hasn't happened
0: I, I, I'm sure think that getting people registered to vote is a very easy first step, Joe. And if that's the word that we're, we're hearing out of Colts headquarters, that was kind of a big focus of, of last night, then w- well, let's see people a get registered to vote and then vote when, uh, when things come around in November.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, it, the word you hear a lot is that the system, right? And so the best way to change the system is to elect, um, people that you would prefer to be in the system. So I, I think that's a good first step for the Colts It's something tangible that they can actually do and put into action. Um, So, you know, it's hard to hate on players for for registering to vote and and using their uh, civil liberties. So it's
0: hard for some people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hard. Hard for some people. It's strange. And, you know, to Mike's point about this, you know, being a reoccurring theme, I saw I forget who tweeted it out, but I saw the only other time that a team has boycotted an NBA game was um, when Bill Russell and the Celtics did back in the 50s, I believe. And it, too, was for, you know, the the same type of issues, social injustice. And 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 we're still having these same conversations, you know, nearly 70 years later. So I hope there is real change and, um, you know, something real comes of this. And I mentioned
0: NBA games were all canceled yesterday. Even the WNBA games were canceled. Uh, Major League Baseball had a few um, games uh, called off as well. Um, Mike, do you think something similar could happen in the NFL? We're still like a week and a half, two weeks away from week one. Um, Is that an enough time for for tensions to simmer, or do you think we could be in danger of losing some NFL games?
1: No, I, it's 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 different. It's it's just hard to it's hard to cancel a week of the season and make it up later. I, I I don't think so. And for whatever reason, maybe it's the leadership at the top. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying it's the Colts, but at the top of the of the leagues, the NBA has always been more of a. Uh, progressive, uh, leading, you know, commodity and, nation I just don't know that the NFL would go for that. I would, I, you hear, and I do trust that a lot of NFL owners are very much behind what the players are doing, but what's their, what's their stress level on we're behind you, but we're not going to cancel games. That, that's what I want to see. And I did I think I just saw a note come out that the NBA has canceled or postponed tonight's games. It hope to resume tomorrow. Uh, you know, what it's what is your stress level of how much you're gonna invest in this? I, I think you know, Jerry Jones has made it clear that he, he's sort of with them, but he's not totally with them about kneeling during the anthem and all that. So I would question how much to the match the NFL owners would go on postponing games. Because, again, you're talking, how do you postpone a week of the games? Because then you got to find another week. That's a little different from rescheduling for some doubleheaders or NBA pushing their games back a day.
0: Right. Totally different, Joe. I mean, in the NBA, you're in a bubble environment. You can push games back for two days, and, oh, okay, you're fine. You resume, or like you said, Mike, and Major League Baseball gets just a doubleheader one day, even though – Major League Baseball games are now seven-inning doubleheaders, which is weird, and I'm still not used to it. But but the NFL, the logistics, I think, would be incredibly difficult to overcome a canceled week of games.
2: Yeah, you know, games in the NBA and MLB are, you know, day-to-day or every two days, where the NFL, you need a week off between those for players to recover. And so it's just completely different logistics as far as rescheduling and finding more time to make up the games. And you, know, you, you hate to think of it, but who's to say there won't be another event that happens when you go try and make up that game. And then when is that postponed? And it, it it raises a lot of issues, Mike. And
1: and that's why I think it's really, really important. And, you know, Jacoby Brissett's been sort of the leading voice with the Colts. It's really, really important for the players and teams to find tangible ways to make a difference. I mean, you know, in, in action, not work, stoppage, whatever you want to call it. And the vote's the one, it's a step. And Jim Merce, uh, back in June, remember, they started the, some initiatives. They started, they, they created a new position in the, in the franchise. They're, they have a scholarship. So I think that's where players can can, can make the most immediate and lasting Difference as opposed to, well, if, if we cancel three games, we can really get your attention. No, they've got our attention. The question is, how do you have that manifest itself into some meaningful changes? And that's what we're going to see.
0: And now we shift to our weekly contractually mandated COVID 19 <laughs> update in the Did NFL. We'll sponsor? And
1: demo we'll sponsor.
0: Uh, I we, mean, we need one. Joe got to work on that. Yeah. On, <laughs> Sponsored Joe. by Hydroxychloroquine. There you <laughs> go. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, I know it's not going to be sponsored by a certain lab in New Jersey after 77 players on 11 teams had false positives come out of their COVID-19 tests uh, from this lab. Um, apparently an isolated contamination during test preparation and all players have since been cleared. And Mike, Mike, this is uh, as we were talking about it immediately before we we switched this. Uh, switched on and started talking today. I mean, could you imagine something like this happening on a Friday before an NFL game, before a week of NFL games and seventy seven players test positive, there would be massive repercussions around the league as to who could play and if teams could play at all.
1: Yeah, the only good thing is is apparently the tests are getting they're getting results back very quickly. So you can retest I but still, you'd be in scramble mode and for a for a snip at a of time you would take the approach that these players are not going to be with you. And we talked back in the offseason about the worst-case scenario of Ryan Kelly being positive and giving it to half the defensive and offensive line. so, yeah, and I'm still stunned how few positive tests there have been across the league. It's really incredible. Uh, That tells you something about how this testing has worked. So we're going to see how the, you know, the next phase obviously is when they start traveling in September. Then we're going to see, but yeah, the, the, the idea of, of mass positive tests, false positives would send a shudder through the league.
0: Yeah. Joe, the, the, the issue of travel certainly adds just another, uh, another layer to things. But as Mike said, like right now, the The total number of positive tests has been remarkably low. And I think the NFL deserves a little bit of praise for for how they've been able to organize things so far to get to this point,
2: yeah. I mean, their plan for, you know, testing players every day, staying on top of it. Um, and And then also just the personal responsibility of the players to make the right decisions, be responsible and focused on their goal, which is playing a season. I mean, I think coming into it, they've seen what could happen to the NBA and the MLB and I think they want to play their season and the majority of players are going to make the sacrifices necessary to do so and I'll say the
0: players too good job for the players for pushing for these uh, these uh, testing procedures which is something we talked about when we were discussing exactly how the NFL PA and the NFL were discussing uh, getting back to work uh, in the middle of a pandemic Mike were you about to say something Yeah, I
1: still say if I'm Frank Reich and Chris Bowden every team meeting before every week I have Justin Houston stand up and just give, just give the evil eye. So guys, <laughs> I'm telling you, don't do any knucklehead stuff. So I, uh, I you got to give this, the, the players credit for really they need to police themselves. And so far, so good. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll throw out a question then that is not on, um, not on our list, but uh, inspired by Mike Chappell. Whose evil eye would you least like to have staring you down? in uh, in an all-time Colts locker room. Let, let's look at all-time Ooh. Colts. Yeah, because um, Justin Houston, I think, is a really, really good choice for this year. But if you could pick one all-time Colt that you... Uh, he would scare you straight, so to say. Uh, who, who do you think that might be? I, I'll go first, since I'm the one who uh, proposed the question. And um, I know Mike and Joe might have a little bit more Colts history to go back through in their minds. But... Um, and, and even me, I have to think about it for, uh, for a little bit, but uh, I, I, know that, I know that a salty Robert Mathis in the locker room after a loss is, is not a pleasant person to have to, have to ask for an interview. Uh, I know that from personal experience. Not that he's a mean dude, but he has, a, he has quite the evil eye that uh, he, it would be uh, intimidating to, uh, to young me here. So uh, I, I'm going to pick Mathis just from my personal experience. What do you guys think?
1: I er, More recently, Bob Sanders, just because – and, again, he's a little guy, but he's like the size of a refrigerator. But going further back, and I'll date myself, either Dan Footman, who was a part-time – he was here briefly as a defensive end back in the day, and Chip Banks. Uh, I, I'm really dating myself now. These guys, they, <laughs> they, they had that look like they don't care – and those are the kind of guys you don't want to mess with when they just don't care about repercussions
2: yeah that's a really tough one i mean it's hard to come up with a better one than justin houston and mathis um currently quentin nelson's a guy who i wouldn't want to piss off either but um he's not quite as physically intimidating but i've heard the stories about peyton manning and how he's kicked people out of their hotel rooms because he wanted to use their tv and they just listen to what peyton says because he's the team and if you piss off him you piss off the entire organization
1: could you imagine how many people it would take to have to pull quentin nelson off of you
2: that
1: that, that, that'd be the problem is, is he would start in on you it would take like six guys to calm him down but uh again we're joking but these veteran players, and of course, Quentin's not a veteran, but these guys who are really serious, they realize it just takes one 23-year-old kid doing something stupid to mess it up for everybody.
0: So the Colts did get some work and training camp this week before uh, taking at least one day off Thursday, as we mentioned earlier, focusing on social issues. But uh, the the main part of this last week that uh, we can break down is a, a simulated game scenario, practice at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, the NFL is allowing all teams to have like one or two practices at their home stadiums uh, in this time leading up to uh, to the first week of the season. So clearly a, a valuable time for the coaches and the players to put them in sort of even a more of a game scenario when you don't get preseason game scenario. You don't get all the offseason work you have. You usually have with OTAs and minicamps. Uh, head coach Frank Reich and linebacker Darius Leonard really touched on how valuable this certain practice was.
3: It was really really helpful. In fact I had a couple of the coaches say to me, um, even while we were in warm ups, you could just I think everyone, my guess is the players felt it as well, like this was a necessary step, you know, to be in the stadium and getting ready for the season. And you know, no one wants to, you know, go to Jacksonville that first day, that first game and not have been through uh, as much of a game like scenario as we got today and that we'll get on Saturday. So um, I, I think I think everyone felt that out there. I think everyone felt that this was a good step, a necessary step, and we'll keep building from here. Um yes, it's definitely the most physical that we've been in the whole camp. Um, you know, it's the intensity was high, you know. That's something that we need, uh, especially having no no OTAs or anything like that coming into camp. You don't want the first game to be the first time you go live. So it felt great to go against, you know, our great offensive line that we have and the great backs that we have. It definitely was Amazing to get that feel back in front of us.
0: That was linebacker Darius Leonard. Before him, Colts head coach Frank Reich about the practice at Lucas Oil Stadium on Monday. And Mike, you were there. Uh, this is this is something that that coaches really, I'm sure that the NFL was pushing for in the back and forth between the NFL and the NFLPA, as much game like atmosphere as possible in this training camp leading up to game one, just because there aren't those usual game scenarios that coaches get to evaluate players.
1: Yeah, they, they don't want that first hit to be in Jacksonville. You, you want to have some contact. And there was, I think Frank said there were 25 or 20 to 25 plays live where you're hitting guys. Now, you're not, you know, driving them into the stands, but you're hitting guys, and they're going down, and there's contact. That's what we had. we don't see generally in practice. And at the same time, you just can't ramp it up and have the full practice live because you don't want guys to get hurt. We saw a few guys go out. so And we're going to see probably a little bit more of that on Saturday uh, with more game-like conditions. There will be a few more people in the stands, not fans, but maybe employees and family members, whatever. But they really want to try to simulate what they're going to see in Jacksonville as much as they can. And with that preseason games.
0: This is the only way to do it. It's kind of funny, Joe. I imagine Colts fans at home like just going over Twitter and refreshing every five seconds, looking for tweets from friends like Mike Chappell, uh, who are out there at this at this game to finally get a little bit of a taste of football right now.
2: Oh yeah, it was an...
0: quote unquote game, I should say.
2: Yeah, that was me on Monday, pretty <laughs> much seeing uh, seeing every everybody's tweet. I, I I forget who said it, but someone said uh, Trey Burton's gonna catch ninety balls this year, and I was like, I hope he does. Um, it's just exciting. You know, we would normally be in the midst of preseason football right now, which is kind of like the appetizer for the regular season, you know, a little finger food for you. So we're missing that. So any kind of tweets or any kind of highlight videos for practice, I'll eat it up.
0: Marlon Mack also had himself quite the day on Monday, a couple of, uh, long runs, long touchdown runs, breaking through holes that uh, the uh, offensive line made and were impressive in, in their own right, as you would expect the Colts offensive line to be. Uh, Coach Frank Reich, about the day that Marlon Mack and the offensive line had now.
3: First of all, Marlon looked great. I mean, he there were some big holes there, but he he did make a couple pretty sweet moves. But uh, the offensive line got in a bit of a rhythm. Now, don't get me wrong, we've had a lot of physical periods where the defense has looked good and and uh, and got the better of us in the run game but um, in that second half uh, the old line got in a good rhythm and um, we'll see the film but it sure looked to my eye and uh, a little bit of the highlight on it on the screen like we ripped like we ripped off a couple long runs right there.
0: That was Colts head coach Frank Reich about the offensive line and Marlon Mack in the Lucas Oil Stadium practice on Monday and Joe, much to your chagrin, Marlon Mack proving that he is a valuable member of this Colts team.
2: And I'm glad he is. I never (laughs) said he wasn't a valuable member. You guys just try and paint me as something I'm not just hating on Marlon Mack here. No, I I love it. And I got to remind all my fantasy people who are starting to take Jonathan Taylor in like the third round these days. Marlon Mack is not going anywhere unless he gets injured. He's going to get 10 to 15 heck if he's running well, maybe even 21 game carries every single week. It, it, Jonathan Taylor is very impressive. He he has all the highlights, but Marlon Mack is a damn good back in his own right. And they're not just going to hand the, you know, every down roll to Jonathan Taylor right out the gate.
1: Yeah. They talk, you know, Frank talks about going with the hot hand. Well, if Marlon Mack again, stays healthy, he will be the hot hand. They're going to run the ball. Well, again, behind this offensive line. And then you add what Philip Rivers brings in a passing that Brissette did not, the threat of down the field. Uh, I just don't see how, again, barring injury, I don't see how this isn't a top-five running team. And if it is, it's going to be with Marlon Mack getting whatever the bulk of the carries is, 60%, whatever you want to call Marlon Mack's not going to cede this starting job at all to the rookie.
2: And something else I wanted to bring up, you know, a a reoccurring um, sentiment, I guess, that keeps popping up is Philip Rivers' ability to distribute the ball in the passing game to his running backs. It's something I was harping on last year when all of the Colts' wide receivers were injured is why is the screen game, why are the running backs not more involved in the passing game? Um, Is that something that you get the sense the Colts are going to really focus on doing a lot more this year, trying to get the ball to their playmakers specifically the running backs in the passing game?
1: I wonder if that was a, a, a reflection of Brissett. I hate that here we are piling on Jacoby. But in in 2018, with Luck back there, Heinz caught like 63, 64 balls, third most in franchise history by a rookie, behind Bill Brooks and Marvin Harrison. And then last year it dropped off, which you would have thought it would have picked up. I think Marlon only had, was it 14 or 16 catches last year? So you he reached off. 20. You would have thought that would have picked up with the injuries at tight end and and at receiver. They want to do that. You're watching practice and you're seeing Marlott or Naheem Hines catching a ton of balls. Max looking better. Jonathan Taylor is still a work in progress because that's not what he's done in the past. So, yeah, I think it's going to be in. We've done a couple stories on it. And Phillip Rivers loves running backs. He just does. But the one year in, in, with San Diego was that Woodhead had 80 catches. Now, that's when Keelan Allen was out in half the season with a, with a kidney injury. But every year it, with, with his second or third receiver has been a running back. Uh, if I'm a running back in this offense, Naheem Hines, my eyes are lit up and I'm looking for a big season.
0: it's it's always a question which came first you know the chicken or the egg what what's more so the case is it philip rivers loves the running backs or is it the running backs he has because he had some of the best receiving running backs of all time you get ladanian tomlinson back there darren sproles back there you get danny woodhead back there so uh, i i'm eager to see how how the colts running backs kind of uh, take that and run with it, uh, so to speak, or take that and, and catch with it, uh, as you might say. Um, Joe Joe brought up uh, my guy, Trey Burton, <laughs> earlier, uh, the guy that I pick as a dark horse Pro Bowl candidate this year, last week, on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, which, by the way, you should subscribe to and get delivered to your podcast listening device week after week. Also, leave us a comment on iTunes. They'll certainly do uh, great things for us. But Trey Burton, a part of our discussion last week when we were talking potential Pro Bowl Colts, and it seems that... He is grabbing himself a a significant role in the Colts offense, if at least what we've seen in practice and the uh, pseudo game on Monday is to be believed here is offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni on the Colts newest tight end.
4: Trey's Trey's uh, Trey's special and really happy to have him on this team. Uh, You know that we've always uh, liked to get the ball to our tight ends, uh, especially in that intermediate range and in the red zone. And, um, we're really pleased with the with what Trey brings to this offense so always the focus of this offense to be able to do that but then again it takes the right guy to be able to do that and we feel like we have that with Trey yeah uh you know I think Eric is a is a bigger man probably probably has a little more speed than Trey Trey in my opinion has better you know feel you know as far as um as far as route running ability, Eric sometimes got open on raw athleticism and Trey sometimes – Trey has great athleticism, but sometimes he gets open on feel. Uh, but Trey does have phenomenal quickness. So that – and so, I, you know, Eric's probably just a bigger, faster version and Trey is a little bit smaller, uh, quicker um, than Eric and then, and then has that uh, instinct, you know, good instincts, uh, I would say, Trey – but both phenomenal players, both are going to, you know, obviously Eric had a lot of success in this offense, um, and we know Trey will as well, uh, and Trey has as well. You know, when he was with Frank in Philadelphia, really was, was special there. And we, we know he'll do the same thing here for us. So different types of players, both very productive players. Excited to have uh, Trey Burton on this team for sure.
0: That was offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni talking about Trey Burton. Joe, my guy, <laughs> could be a significant part of this Colts offense in 2020.
2: And it makes sense. I, I thought it was really interesting when he was talking about, yeah, Ebron's bigger and he's a little faster, but Burton's Burton's got a little bit more quickness to his game, and he just has a better feel, better instincts for the game. Um, so i will be interesting to see what the differences are between how they use him and Ebron. I don't think they'll use them in the exact same manner. Um, But I think Burton will have a role. He was kind of a signing that kind of came, you know, later in the off season and didn't get a ton of attention because he didn't play a lot the year before in Chicago. But this could be one of the more, you know, low key signings that pays big dividends.
1: The the, the hard part is watching him practice because he's catching a ton of balls. But he, by NFL standards, he's small. He's six-two, two thirty-eight. He looks like a just a big receiver, and, and you know, wearing eighty, I keep thinking it's like a Bill Brooks type of player. Uh, and then you see he's a tight end, and he's gonna. Frank loves him. He his he, you know he had he had great success in Philly, which led to the big contract with the Bears. Really, he I think he had his best year the first year with the Bears, and then he had the injuries. But I tell you, he. It, it is hard. It, you try to compare him to Ebron. Ebron's just bigger. He's just he's a bigger guy. But I, I haven't seen the drops that we had with Ebron. If you can get the production with with Burton and not sprinkle in those drops, he's going to. I'm not seeing he's going to be the Pro Bowler. I'm not going there.
0: <laughs> yeah, come on.
1: But I think he, he's going to be a really, really good complement to to Jack Doyle.
0: And Mike, uh, a stat that uh, you pointed out, uh, the Colts tight ends have an NFL best 28 touchdown catches over the past two seasons. The Eagles are next with 21. So a full seven touchdowns more from the tight end position uh, that the Colts have had under this Frank Reich offense than any other team in the NFL. And, of course, that uh, Eric Ebron had a ton his first year. And he had half of those his first year. Exactly. Jack Doyle catches a good number. We've seen Mo Alley-Cox in there. Eric Swope a couple years ago caught a few. Was it was Eric Swope on the team two years ago? He caught three. Yeah, he caught three. He caught three in successive games, too. Three. So, yeah, yeah we, we've seen this. for. It's not just one person, even though, obviously, Ebron was kind of the focus of it there, but... Uh, yeah, and certainly different guys with Ebron was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. You don't be a tight end at a top 10 pick if unless you're a physical freak. Trey Burton's not a physical freak. He was a college quarterback initially, and uh, that's why he threw the Philly special in the Super Bowl to Nick Foles. So uh, if you're out there, Colts fans, I'm sure that you will, uh, that the Colts will have a play in the playbook where Trey Burton is throwing a pass. Last year, I know it was supposed to be Jack Doyle throwing a pass. Uh, that was the... Uh, the uh the play that was was it who who threw that eventually? Was it Jack or was it somebody? No, it was somebody else. I can't remember.
1: I think but, I thought Jack threw it, but it was supposed to be I can't remember that. I'm not yeah. positive. Yeah,
0: yeah. sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. I confused everybody, but I do remember it because Frank Wright called it the Jackie Moon play. The Jack was supposed yeah. to throw the ball, right? And it it I like I said, I guarantee Trey Burton, like he he's he was a decent college quarterback. He's going to be uh, he's going to have at least one play in the playbook where he throws the ball. I'm not promising that the Colts are going to run the play, <laughs> but it's going to be in the playbook, Joe.
2: I just hope that means we get to see Phillip Rivers run a out.
0: Good <laughs> Lord, please save us all from that.
2: Speaking <sighs> of
1: tight ends and, and what Rivers does, I saw a stat that the Athletic put out there. Over the last six years, Phillip Rivers has leads the league in most targets to tight ends. 30%, 36% of his targets are to tight ends. Now you've got when you get Antonio Gates, you're going to do that. But and and, and Frank Reich loves tight ends. You know he, he had he was here when Dallas Clark was here, having his big run in his career. Zach Ertz, uh, Antonio Gates, and I reminded Frank one time we've talked about this. The uh, back in Buffalo, he was a backup quarterback. Remember the K gun offense that that they ran? It wasn't for Jim Kelly. It was it was for their tight end. Keith McKellar, he was mm-hmm. that tight end that didn't that they didn't let defenses get out of certain packages. So they think they've really got a good group with, with uh, Doyle, Burton, and, and Mo Ali Cox. Uh, so again, I, I think we're going to see a lot of use of the tight ends again this year because of the, the personnel they've got.
0: Perhaps the most significant competition at training camp is that between the kickers, Chase McLaughlin and Rodrigo Blankenship. Uh, on Monday out at Lucas Oil Stadium, there was no doubt who the better kicker was. It was Chase McLaughlin. I believe he finished the day perfect. And I know that Blankenship missed three or four out there. Three, says uh, says Mike. So uh, so obviously, uh, kicking is a very easy way for fans to tell who has it and who doesn't. It's a lot more difficult to tell what sets uh Quentin Nelson apart from a very good guard in the NFL. It's very easy to see what sets one kicker apart from another, and that is do you make the kick? Very simple as that. Head coach Frank Reich talking about the kicking competition after Monday's practice.
3: Um no I think it's important not to overweight any any one day. This day does get weighted a little bit heavier, but it's not dramatically heavier. Um, but it 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 definitely gets weighted a little bit heavier. So Chase had a good day today. And these guys have been great. They, they're embracing the competition and embracing the pressure of the competition. And it's been, back, it's been a back-and-forth battle.
0: That was Colts head coach Frank Reich about the kicking competition. Uh, Mike, I don't think one practice is going to be the end-all, be-all uh, between two kickers. But uh, it, it, what we saw, from what we saw, it was clear that in, out of stage, really, for the first time in camp, that Chase McLaughlin seemed like the more comfortable guy out there.
1: From what we've seen in practice most of the time, Chase has just been pure on his kicks. It's not like he's squeezed one in the left or right, upright. And we've talked about this. too. I, I thought this was his job to lose simply because he he, he has been there. Now, he's, again, he doesn't have a wealth of, of experience. He, he was a rookie last year, but, he, but he's been in those situations. You sort of know what you're going to get. With a rookie kicker, I'm telling you, I I would have a lot of concerns, anxious moments going into the season with a rookie kicker. I I just would. So I I think that it's not over by any stretch, but it's going to be really tough for Chase McLaughlin to do enough to lose the job.
2: Joe, your boy seems to be falling behind. Perhaps. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to have to distance myself from old Rodrigo, and at least you know, soften the blow for if and when he doesn't get, doesn't get the job. There, I I was rooting for him the whole time, but at the end of the day, I'd prefer whatever uh, kicker makes more kicks.
0: On the deep, pretty pretty simple, huh? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> on the defensive line, the Colts have, a, uh, have really two good units that we plan to see, we hope to see, we think we will see, uh, rotate in and out quite a bit. And that, of course, depends on uh, the consistency of the second unit. And one guy who uh, the word consistency is thrown around with a good deal is Tyquan Lewis, a second-round pick a couple years ago out of Ohio State. Had a couple of really good moments his rookie year, but then last year was even a healthy scratch. Sometimes uh, he was good to go, but then he wasn't even on the roster, on the game day roster. So uh, a lot of questions rise up when a second round pick is is in that type of position. What's going on? Is it? Are there more injuries? Is there attitude? Is there whatever it might be? Uh, but one thing that we know for sure is this year, Tyquan Lewis has looked better in training camp uh, than we've seen him in quite some time. And here is head coach Frank Reich on the young defensive
3: lineman. I mean, he's literally showing up every day, um, very often. So Taekwon's on the right track and that's good for him, good for all of us. Um, really good for the defensive line. You know, as a defensive line, you know, we really, as you know, as you hear Chris and I talk all the time, it starts from inside out, starts up front and the O line and D line got to dominate. And so, you know, we say this all the time, they're going to carry us on both sides of the ball and you know, everybody obviously knows about Justin and DeForest and the rest of the guys, but Taiquan being relatively quiet the last two years, just the way he's looked, if he if he keeps up at this pace, that's gonna that's gonna be a big time plus for us.
0: That was Colts head coach Frank Reich talking about defensive lineman Tyquan Lewis. And, Mike, one of the things they like about Tyquan is a bit of his versatility. He can play inside and outside. Um, I, I think he's going to need to find, find a home and hopefully find one quickly. Uh, it, it does look that, uh, he, he, like I said earlier, he's doing better than he was last year. At least he seems to be showing up a little bit more often.
1: We talked to him about a week ago, and there's no question that injuries ha- ha- have limited him. But it was also clear that those injuries impacted his head, that he had lost confidence. He said he spent so much more, as much time working this offseason on his mind as he did his body. And that, to me, that's just a, a way of saying he, he really had lost that mental edge. And his versatility is going to be huge. Komoko Terrey's not practiced yet, he, he, he's an end that you really want to be out there. And Sheldon Day hasn't practiced he, he's that tackle so while they while they're so deep at the defensive line those are two guys that that going into you thinking okay there's two of two of our nine or ten guys well they're not practicing and and, and buckner's some time with it with a hand that won't be an issue i don't think so the the the, the versatility that willis gives you he's 25 they love that is his athleticism they love his quickness and he had a couple of great plays uh in the scrimmage. He just abused, I think, Penner one play and in, in, in forced a fumble against by by Naheem Hines. And that's what they want. And we've seen a play from him every day in training camp, as Frank alluded to.
0: Joe, if the defensive line is going to... uh take shape with some injuries out there. Tyquan Lewis's role early on in the season could be very, very important. I mean, Mike mentioned Kamoko, to hasn't practiced yet. I think that's another reason Colts fans might be concerned about the state of the defensive line right now and the, the importance of having Tyquan Lewis continue this play in preseason into the regular season.
2: Yeah, I remember this time last year we were talking about how deep the wide receiver group yeah. was and yep. we saw how quickly that could change. And the same thing could happen with this seemingly deep defensive line group. Um, Taequann Lewis is a guy who I think for this season, the Colts would be thrilled if he could give them Raheem Brock, like production, a guy who could play outside on third and long, he could slide inside. If he could fill that type of role for the Colts, I think, uh, the coaches would be very happy with Taequann Lewis this year.
0: Well, we touched on injuries. Let's get into those a little bit more. And, uh, the first one is, is a very unfortunate injury, but, uh, Paris Campbell in a car crash on Wednesday Suffered a concussion, so he's in the NFL's concussion protocol, and uh, we've heard some good things out of training camp from Paris Campbell. But Mike, as we mentioned, uh, as we've mentioned many times on this podcast, Paris was just snake bit with injuries last year, and heck, the year hasn't even begun yet. Now a freak accident is putting him on the concussion protocol.
1: You just shake your head. I mean, you're thinking, really?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, what's? I, I would not want to stand next to this kid. <laughs> you know, in, in normal, in a, in a lightning storm, I'm nowhere near <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but uh, hopefully this is something you get through the protocol pretty quickly and maybe he's out there at practice tomorrow. But, uh, did, you, again, you just shake your head when the guy that's been hurt has concussion in a minor car accident.
0: And certainly a guy that, uh, if he's out, maybe the, the rookies will get maybe a little bit more chance right now to keep shining. And we, we saw some good stuff from Desmond Patman, uh, on Monday as well. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, from time to time has showed up. I don't think in, in a significant, huge way, at least, at least on Monday, out at um out at Lucas Oil Stadium, but uh, we'll shift back to the defensive line again. Another defensive lineman injured. Ben Banigou hurt his ankle in that Lucas Oil Stadium practice on Monday. Was carted off the field. Uh, I that could have been just in an. Uh, in an abundance of caution, getting the cart out there, but nevertheless, got to practice
2: using the cart too. Yeah, and... there you
0: go. The, the cart people need need their preseason work. Uh, hopefully, that was the entire reason. But Coach Frank Reich, Joe, sounded optimist. That the Bandegu won't miss too much time. I mean, we've touched on the importance of the defensive line already, but uh, Bandegu is a guy that they were expecting to step up into a bigger role this year with Jabal Shear now gone.
2: Yeah, another second-round pick that yep. they were hoping would really come on. And extremely athletic guy, and like you already mentioned, Teray's out, and both of them kind of fit that role as that athletic athletic speed rusher type guy. So with with both of those players out, it, it's not good, to say the least. Jack Doyle returned to practice on Wednesday after missing several
0: days with a neck injury, so the Colts' tight ends are uh, back to a li- uh, back to stronger. Uh, they had to bring in a couple different tight ends, like Andrew Voller, the guy from uh, the, uh, the Chargers, who was a bit of a hard knocks uh, phenomenon after he got cut from the Chargers, basically walked into the GM and coach's office, which was like, uh, drop some words that I would not even use on a podcast here and certainly words that I would not use on the air on Fox 59 and CBS 4. But uh, to have Jack Doyle back in the mix is certainly a, a welcome addition to the tight ends, to the offensive line, to the running backs, uh, to, to quarterback uh, Philip Rivers as well.
2: So, Joe. Um, before we move on, I think we forgot to mention that Tony Dungy Oh, shoot, um, as made it onto the Hall of Fame committee.
0: Yes, we did.
2: And I that that that's on my that's on me. We talked about it beforehand,
0: but it, it wasn't on the street here. So it wasn't Saying on the problem, teleprompter. <laughs> so I'm not going to I'm not going to not going to say it. I'm Ron Burgundy and didn't show up. So, uh, Mike, you'll, you'll have another friendly voice alongside you there in the, uh, in the Hall of Fo- Pro Football Hall of Fame ballots.
1: Yeah, in the last week we've had uh, we had a few shuffles of personnel that Tony Denji added today as an at-large guy. And, and a few days earlier, Bill Polian, I uh, was added. They're trying. There's still 48 of uh, of us members selectors that meet today before the Super Bowl, but they're trying to add Hall of Fame uh, members as well to give their expertise. And we've got Kenny Law Lo- or uh, James Lofton, and uh, Dan Fouts, and now Bill and and Tony Dungy. So it's. I mean, what don't what don't they know about football? So it'll be a great conversation with those guys in the room.
0: Our final discussion on this Colts Blue Zone podcast will s- focus on which Colt could the team least afford to lose to a season ending injury in 2020. We did just get to our injury update and a couple of guys on that list that you certainly don't want to lose. You don't want to lose Paris Campbell. You don't want to lose Jack Doyle or Braden Smith or Ben Banigou, all those guys. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, all those guys you expect to have pretty significant roles this year, but uh I don't think any of us would pick any of them as the least of uh, able to uh, to lose for the I'm tying myself into knots here. But anyway, <laughs>
2: uh which player I probably could have worded that. Yeah, but... I,
0: I could have worded this slightly better, but I, I blame Joe again for not putting it down on, on on the sheet correctly. No, this is this is me struggling. But uh Mike, uh let, let's start with you. Which Colt do you think the team can least afford to lose to a season ending injury?
1: My guy, my guy AC. I'm a Costanzo guy. Uh, A lot of that is because, if not him, who? The Raven Clark. Again, losing Costanzo for an extended period totally disrupts what you want to do on offense. You've got to give that guy help. So uh, I, I I don't think it's close. I think it's Costanzo. And then number two is a couple of gaps below. But I'll stick with my guy, Costanzo.
2: Joe, who do you think? I didn't like what happened when T.Y. Hilton was off the field last year. I, I, and, the, you know, Paris Campbell's exciting. Pittman Jr. is exciting. There's some exciting players behind them, but no established, real, you know, players that you go, okay, we can rely on this guy. Um, Zach Pascal can only do so much. So uh, I think the drop off behind T.Y. Hilton substantial enough that after Anthony Costanzo, I would have to say Hilton.
0: Now, the numbers that the Colts have without T.Y. Hilton in the lineup are, are baffling. They have one or two wins uh, in his in his time. Just one, says Mike Chappell. That's what I thought it was. But um, I wanted to, to give a, a little cushion there. But it, it's out of the, all the games he has missed. Uh, they, they do not win without T.Y. Hilton. So that, that's a great pick. Costanzo is a great pick. I think there's a reason the Colts went out and spent $25 million on Phillip Rivers is because they just don't have faith that Jacoby Brissett can be the guy to take them into the playoffs. And I, far be it from me to question Chris Ballard. So I, I think that Phillip Rivers is the guy as much experience as Jacoby Brissett has in the NFL. I think the Colts are in better position um, than most teams around the league in, with a backup quarterback to come in for a week or two. But again, if you want him to be your guy, I don't think that's going to happen. So Philip Rivers, I think, is is the one guy that uh, the Colts could least afford to lose out of everybody. But we, you, it, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, I, I,
1: to your point, I still don't want to see anyone else at left tackle. Right. But I think R- Rivers gives you the chance to do something. I really think he does. Now, how far they go with him, I don't know. The ceiling with Brissett is whatever it is it's it's seven and nine it's eight and eight and could he get you in the playoffs at nine and seven maybe but i i I do think of of the players we've talked about the one that can take this team the furthest by doing what he does is
2: the quarterback none of us said anybody on defense joe yeah i was about to say i i think at least in my opinion those are kind of the clear top three players Mm -hmm. all on offense there if I think there's a pretty big drop-off between those three guys and then the fourth player. Who would that fourth player be to you guys?
0: <sighs> Is it so,
2: could,
1: Darius Leonard, I guess.
0: Yeah, maybe.
1: If, if he listens to this, we'll, we'll get a tweet. They,
0: <laughs> Number four. <laughs> it's going gonna, gonna to
1: go on his cleats. <laughs> they won in Kansas City with so, so, you know, and that's not to diminish his strength, but I think you can cover up things on defense because it is a it is a deep linebacker group. It would miss him immensely. But I agree. I think the the three we've mentioned in the fourth one if it's a, if it's a defensive player it's it, 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 it's a big drop off
0: to me. You can make a great case for Kenny Moore being yeah. that guy because you saw yeah. what the Colts did without Kenny Moore the past last couple of weeks of the season when he had his foot injury. So, uh, giving up 300 plus yards, uh, giving up 30
2: plus points four out of the last five games. So, and then we haven't seen it, but I mean Buckner's got to be up there. All the coaches have raved about how the you know defense starts with Buckner up front. So right. that that would be a big drop off too. So there's a lot of guys who it would be a severe setback if they were down for the season, but it's just kind of an interesting mental exercise to go through.
0: Let's knock on wood. Here we go. (laughs) Injuries. uh, Never like to see them. And uh, we have just 10 days really now until the season starts or even less than that or something like that. Um, Are are there any Thursday night games opening week, Mike? I I don't remember. The
1: the kickoff game. Houston and Kansas City. It's a a Thursday night game.
0: Okay. So I think that's actually exactly two weeks from today, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: September 10th. 10th.
0: Okay, so yeah, 14 14 days away as we record this right now. The start of the NFL season creeping up, and pretty soon we're going to have some games to break down on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, but still a couple weeks of our preseason left to go. We will lead you up to kickoff, hopefully with uh, great content, and I assume it will be.
2: Hopefully it's definitely going to, I can promise you great content. As long as we have Trey Burton and
0: uh, Marlon Mack to talk about uh, and Anthony Costanzo, no. then we, we will make it, we'll make it to the finish line. This has been the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, submit any questions you might have for us there at at Colts Blue Zone. I am Dave Griffiths. That's Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chapel is at M 51 And Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. We thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We will see you next week.